Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. In this episode, Lauren Messick describes her work with the Parkour Visions Project Movement for All and her personal project, Yoga Move. She discusses her interest in climbing, bare feet versus minimalist shoes, and her background in the performing arts. Lauren reflects on her voiceover work and expresses her passion for helping people to rediscover play. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hey, I'm Lauren Messick. An online search for a jungle gym for grown-ups brought Lauren Messick to Parkour, a joyful community that supports and inspires her passion for play, thoughtful movement, and creative collaboration. She loves to infuse her yoga practice with parkour and vice versa, while seeking new ways to explore her environment. In addition to yoga and parkour, she's an avid hiker and climber and practices fighting monkey. Lauren draws from her events background to design movement projects that encourage personal discovery and supports play for all in public spaces. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Lauren, I love the Jungle Gym for Grown Ups lead in. I'm really glad that that got in there. So can you just unpack a little bit like that? That's not an obvious place for somebody to start entering into parkour. No, of course. And and that that was my exact search term. I probably still have it in my history somewhere. <laughs> uh, but I had been doing a lot of yoga, which I still try to do. And I had enjoyed it a lot, but it was very much about being in your own sphere, connecting with your body, but and while in the presence of others, but not so much about interacting with others. And I was about a year, a little over a year out of college, and I was really missing uh, people. I was missing extracurriculars, actually, is what I had said. (laughs) Like, I need an extracurricular. I was having my sister write me, like, psychology worksheets to do. It's like, I just want to engage with something. So I was looking for something that would be a more dynamic complement to my yoga, but I had no idea what to look for. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school and earlier, athleticism was a sport like basketball or soccer. Dance was its own thing. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else that was outside the sphere of sports that was interesting to me. So I was the kid who was kind of on the elliptical, like, I wish there was something more. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, you know, that was like the outcast room. Um <laughs> Which is sad because I, you know, now, uh, now that's something that people talk about. They talk about, uh, I I interviewed someone who said, I cannot work in a gym. I just, I go there and I just feel dead. Um, and I think people now understand that when someone says that they're like, Oh, I think I understand what you mean. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that when that didn't used to be something that people talked about, the gym was cool. Let's all go to the gym. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and now we've, this is an entirely other subject. There's kids have a lot more to engage with Mm -hmm. in, in sports and PE than they used to, but that was definitely a gap for me. So I didn't know what to look for. I didn't have any language for this. So I was just thinking about what it is I wanted from this activity. And what it was, was I thought about climbing around on trees when I used to do that a lot Mm -hmm. when I lived in a place with more trees. But I also knew that I needed something that was going to be accepting because obviously in New York, there's loads of playgrounds, but a lot of them are barred off and they're only, you can only go in if you're a parent with a kid. Yes. Um, yes. And so it's like, well, what, what's that thing for me? And knowing nothing about bouldering at the time, I just searched a jungle gym for grownups. And the first thing that came up was Brooklyn Zoo which I'm actually really embarrassed to say I've still never been to after all this time. <laughs> and and, and I always, I'm going to point out, if you don't know what the Brooklyn Zoo is, 
I think there is actually. There's a Bronx Zoo, which confused me. Mm-hmm. And there is actually, I believe, a Brooklyn Zoo, like the place with animals in captivity. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Brooklyn Zoo, which is a parkour-specific gym. It's also got the, I think, the second floor. The first floor has trampolines and and more dance-type not not calisthenics, but a more of a dance studio. And then the upper floor is a purpose built out space with vault boxes and bars. And you really need to go there. And yeah, I went there like kind of as a personal pilgrimage one, one night, very late, all by myself in the rain. I was like, where am I going? Cause it's yeah. not in the best section of Brooklyn. It's definitely out there. And I, so of course I'd never heard of this place before. It was outside my sphere. I clicked through it. And as you've just described, there were loads of really interesting things going on, but when I saw the word parkour, it's like, oh, okay, I've heard this word. I've heard about this. I knew one person back when I was in Connecticut who, you know. talked about it. Somebody uh, yeah, but, but it was, I had this idea in my head that it was not, it was nothing that I ever felt like I could be a part of. Mm-hmm. But reading about this, reading how engaging it looked, uh, made me want to look more. But that was out in Brooklyn, obviously. I was way up mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And I wanted something that I could incorporate into you yeah, know, every week. I wanted this yeah, to be a part be, of right, my life. Nearby, right? <laughs> that's, exactly. That's probably 45 minutes across town and over the East River. And oh, yeah. It w- working it w- on my geography. <laughs> it would have been, from where I used to be, it would have been about an hour to an hour and a half, yeah. which is just it's Too not, far to be a regular thing. Yeah. I was going to say that I think it's important to realize that there is a very unique uncommon thing that you did there, which is to go from this fuzzy, there's a hole in my life. I don't know what belongs here to actually like, all right, I'm going to start searching and I don't know, maybe try jungle gym. And I think too many people in Western society just kind of live with that little nagging voice that says I should do something more. And they're just like, eh, I just don't like my life. And so I, I think it's really interesting until it says a lot that you thought you were missing something and then just started searching and then went and tried. I kind of know where your story goes, but so the next part of your story is finding the part that's actually a little closer. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so once I had my search term, I searched parkour Manhattan and the first thing that came up in that search was the movement creative. And I checked out the website and the thing that really stuck out to me was the emphasis on play and also the emphasis on finding your movement, Mm -hmm. not showing up and needing to train to a standard not showing up and, and, and needing to do a particular thing at a particular level. Right, a particular shape. And, and I was in pretty good shape, but I, I never thought of myself as an athlete. I thought of myself as someone who did yoga sometimes. Not to say <laughs> that yoga is not an incredibly athletic pursuit, but there to me, you know, and this was partly because of my education, being an athlete was playing soccer, playing basketball. So it seemed like a really welcoming environment and, and one that would allow me to enter a totally new space, take risks, play, and then grow from there without any pressure to move in a particular way. Mm-hmm. To, I could develop that. And it just seemed really fun. Uh, <laughs> and I just, everybody looked like they were really physically engaged and, and they were smiling. And I, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to go. And I actually still have, I make a lot of to-do lists and I still have the paper that I had written out <laughs> that was prepping for this. I went and I got my, renewed my library card and I had like pad thai or something. And then I went down to right. Nelson D. Rockefeller Park for my, uh, my first class. And it was, uh, it was a great day. It was beautiful. There were loads of people there. Some people had brought friends and some of the folks that I met there have been become incredible friends. I met John. (laughs) And this was about three and a half years ago that that happened. So uh, that it happened (laughs) three and a half years ago that my my first, yeah, yeah. Fell into that. And it was really hard. It was just a bit 
like dance and that it engaged my whole body and in ways that I had never moved. Um, so I learned about quadrupedal movement that was, you know, just crawl, crawling around, <laughs> but, oh, my knees aren't touching the ground. And I'm doing, right. it was so much more endurance than I had expected to use, but I felt really good. It's like, oh, I can move. I can do this. I don't need to be in the dance studio. I don't need to, I can engage with the world in this way that I hadn't done in a while. And it was awesome. So I, I kept going back and I haven't stopped. So if that's your, we'll call it your origin story of how you got to parkour, it strikes me that you're currently working with Parkour Visions. And can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing for that organization? Because it's not just like you want to teach classes. You have a particular through line or an idea of what you want to do. That's that continuation of play. And can you unpack a little bit about what you're doing and where you're going with that and why? Like, it's a very short window. Most people don't do something for only three and a half years. And then suddenly they find themselves in like a leadership role where they're like, wait, I can do this. And there I see these opportunities. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I have come from similar event leadership roles. So stepping in here, finding my foothold has launched a lot of various Things different clicked, right. opportunities to create projects. And I've been lucky to be able to be that integrated so mm -hmm. soon. It just really, you know, was a, a big click for me. So Caitlin had reached out to me um, because she's looking and is in the process of establishing this to build up regional hubs where Parkour Visions can direct funding right. to basically support all of the regional activities. So, you know, you've got the Southwest and there are loads of awesome gyms around there, communities doing things. So they would be deciding where they're going to put that money. And similarly here in the, in the Northeast, she's asked if I'd be interested in stepping into a role that helps to identify all of the people doing really great stuff, particularly right. with the community, and make sure that they can continue doing that. There are certain things that bring in a lot of money already, but lots of really great programs that are usually done for free, maybe donation-based occasionally, but mostly for the benefit of the public or the movement community itself. So the goal is partially through the Movement for All Fund, which is ongoing now as this recording is happening, but um, <laughs> through other pushes throughout the year to attract the support of people who value movement, who value play, which will then funnel into supporting the events that drive this community and also bringing new people into that community. So what I'm going to be doing over the course of this year is speaking with the folks who are creating these programs, perhaps identifying some programs that have been in their seedling stage and Someone, saying, look, right, someone has an idea, but not quite sure what the next step would be. Exactly. Right. What's the next step? How am I going to afford to do this? It would be coming probably out of pocket. But what more can we do if there's the support of an existing organization, both from a financial perspective and from just a general resource perspective, knowledge? Some of the work we may do is um, bringing some of the really awesome certification programs to the East Coast, because Parkour Visions has been doing that for years. They're really good at it. And to be able to bring some of that education here to give coaches who might be in there, might be less experienced, might be learning, you know, looking to take their work to the next level. That's another part of, of this. Mm -hmm. For me, the thing, that, the thing that got me really excited about this opportunity is the ability to go in into the community and support the new stuff, uh, support the stuff that's going to bring the whole community together and perhaps to continue to develop some of the programs that I'm interested in. But New York has so many cool things going on. <laughs> I mean, there's loads of people doing great stuff. Right. And that we don't want to just focus only on New York. There's lots of great stuff up in, in Connecticut, in the Hudson Valley, lots of things. And 
hopefully what this will do is broaden that reach out there, bring us together a little bit more, even though some of us are geographically separated, the conversation can you know, tie all of us mm-hmm. together doing perhaps something as one rather than as a few different collectives doing their own weekly programs, their own you know monthly programs. Lauren, that gives us sort of the snapshot of what drew you to parkour, but what are you up to these days? Because it strikes me as you're a particularly passionate person about projects. And when you really get involved in something, just kind of like take a cursory pass at it and then let it go. So I want to know, like, what are you into these days that you're working on? And can you tell me, like, how that's going to factor into the bigger picture of what you're doing? Oh, of course. There are a couple of things, some past, some present that are still ongoing. One of them is this program that I was always thinking about, given that I came from a yoga background and have discovered parkour, is uh, something we've called Yoga Move when we developed it. I work with a couple of folks from the Movement Creative to develop a program that combined the foundations of both parkour and yoga uh, to be taught together, studied together as okay. a, a means to understand both in a different way. For me, when I was coming into parkour with this background, I was discovering these really interesting parallels. When I um, Mm, would close my eyes while training, I was both engaging dynamically with the world while also feeling that connection to myself that I really enjoyed about yoga Yoga. and understanding structure, the way that the way that I move through certain of these movements, particularly a jump. A jump is a great one because it's, it's so much like moving up into mountain pose, coming back to the earth. There were all of these neat, neat parallels, different ways to break down what we were doing. So there was all this material. So we got together with a, a couple of folks and, uh, and built this, this class. And what was really interesting about the class, and I think some of us saw this coming, but it was great to see everyone together on the day, was that we had folks coming who had knew a little bit about parkour enough to find the class in the first place, but didn't think of it as their world, but wanted to know more kind of mm. like me mm. when I was, you right. know, not first discovering past, right. this. Yeah. Not long ago at all. And it was so interesting to see people bring their knowledge of yoga to this totally new application for them, but also to see people who came from a parkour background approaching yoga from this other very different perspective and to see how they came together in this really beautiful, fun afternoon of moving was really exciting. And so we were asked on that day, you know, is this going to become a regular offering? At the time, we weren't sure. But what I'm hoping to do, talking with the Movement Creative about this, is turn this into um, a more of a, a, a six-week intensive course to be able to explore in depth these ideas a little right. bit more. So that's that's one of them. The other thing that I... Should I now talk about PKV? What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> sure, I'm just like, like I've yeah. gotten distracted. Yeah, no, I, I think that I just think it was interesting when we were talking beforehand, you had um, different ideas for projects. And then what I'm getting at here in the bigger picture is I think everybody, maybe not everybody, I hope everyone has ideas for great projects. But then the hard part is, okay, it's one thing to get together for an afternoon with somebody that can jump and put together a great afternoon of movement practice, yoga park, or whatever you want to call it. It's a completely different thing to expand that into a course. It's a completely different thing to run the course multiple times. And what I'm getting at is I know that you're going to be able to turn that into, have already turned into a course that you're going to be able to turn out, turn out into something that can be run multiple times. And I want to dig into like, well, how do you make that? How does one make that leap from one to the other, from the, you know, I had a small, a cool, a doable, executable sized idea. How do you turn that into a big thing that you can then spread and continue? So 
thankfully, that first course that we did had a lot of different material that we just compressed. One of the, the great things we can always start and end with is some meditation. For me, that is... I mean, honestly, a great way to start your parkour classes if you're interested in that. <laughs> interested in having a good way to start your day. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. That's become a, a, a bigger part of my life over these last couple of years. But we thought a lot about the different aspects that we wanted to incorporate into this class. Thankfully, we had a, a lot more material than we needed for that first day. It was very tempting to to basically try to compress <laughs> way more because 400 new items, right? Yeah, of course. I mean. Yoga is an ancient practice you know, right. to think that I can get here and, and be like, these are the fundamentals in, <laughs> in even six weeks is crazy. And I don't want to say that that's what this is, but yoga and parkour in conversation with each other over a period of time is, is I think something that I can actually, you know, I can handle uh, sharing with people. No one is going to become an expert in either, but they can learn different ways to incorporate them both into their lives. So we did a whole section on structure, which then is broken down a bit more. So we have some of the, the movements that people who are familiar with parkour will know. We've got jumping, we've got vaulting, and they have some really interesting um, structural similarities to various poses. common, yeah, yeah it, particularly in like the sun salutation, which is itself a fluid progression, but you're in one space. So that's really fun to play with because you can dig and dig and dig deeper and find new nuances of, of that. We also played with closing your eyes. That is one of my favorite things to train. I love it. As as a person with sight, it's um it's really <laughs> it's wonderful for me. A really great privilege to be able to move between both um states of being. And in yoga, it's I think a lot of people who engage with it like to shut off that sense as well. And so I've, I've explored a lot of uh, contact, particularly changing points of contact with a group. One of my favorite exercises to do <laughs> that we had called energy hands is to stand in a circle, palms out in contact with, with the palms next to you. And this at first is meant to be quite still. It's simulating um, being in contact with the ground when you're in you know, downward dog, however it is, a child's mm. pose. But then to begin to move, and to start responding to those external uh, stimuli, which is what a, a lot of what parkour is all about, being able to engage with what's coming at you, especially when you don't know exactly what it's going to be. It might be another person, it might be right. a new surface, but it's also about engaging with community because that's another key aspect of this practice, which is something I love about it, is it's, you can do it on your own, but when you do it with others, it's so enriched. <laughs> the right. practice is really, is really much has much greater depth because there's more sharing. So this is about, about sharing as well. And it's interesting to see, to see people approach this exercise, especially if they don't, if they're not really familiar with either community, it's kind of like, what am I doing? <laughs> am I doing? And the more they move, the more fun they start to have, especially as you introduce level change. Right. Um, right. And they get more comfortable with closing their eyes and just feeling what's happening, feeling the other person's hands start to feel like your own hand, you know, feel like the ground. And so that's, that's another, you know, totally different, aspect totally different of aspect of this that you can pursue. So, so there's quite a bit of stuff to play with. And I've been lucky enough to take really interesting courses with folks who are very good at isolating a concept and exploring it in lots of different ways. Working with Ozzy, <laughs> Oswald Foster, who runs True Movement in his Fighting Monkey courses, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that discipline. And to be able to tell a story to 
begin one class that has one focus, go to the next week, expand on that, but from a new perspective, using a different technique and a different tool. I've been exposed to some some folks who are really good at curriculum design and, and telling a movement story. So it will be really interesting to see. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to that relatively soon and try to engage with this in a in an interesting way. The Yoga Move workshop that you did, I'm presuming that you want to run that again and again. And I'm just, it seems to me like your passion is obviously doing those workshops is fun, like doing them in the sense of creating them. But it seems to me that your passion is then to get that off the ground so that it becomes something that can benefit the community because you have to run it over and over and over just every whatever, three weeks, four weeks, just run it forever. And how do you, and how does one in general, how do you get from that you have an idea, you found people that you worked with that actually worked out really well. You came up with something that was viable and now you want to take it bigger. And, and that I think is where the Parkour Visions programs come in. So can you tell me a little bit about what your role is with the Parkour Visions program and how that program is developing now? Sure. As I said, we're still in the seedling stages of this, but what I am hoping to be able to do and what I, what I will be doing um, in collaboration with PKV is to identify the programs that could use support. This one would be a, a good example of something that I have a personal mm-hmm. stake in, but identifying these key programs that we think need the financial oomph and also the visibility and working with those people to make sure that they have the resources. Right. So something that might've been, you know, Craig has a crazy idea and has grassroots and like spends the $25. This could be a thing that like, well, with a small push and a little bit of structured guidance, like, you know, you should do this, 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 and this, then that thing can become reproducible and sustaining. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just as simple as I know that I need a van full of equipment in order to do this pop-up and I can't really afford it. Or if I did pay that money, I wouldn't be able to pay great coaches. So to basically remove those barriers, because any project is going to have some couple of barriers you have to get over, (laughs) just like parkour. And if it's something as simple or as complicated, I suppose, in some cases as some dollars, this is that, let's just wipe that off the table so that you can think more creatively and that we can support you, which I think is awesome. I the more programs that we have rolling, the more opportunities for people to come and experience them, for people to connect with each other. And it's this is partly why it's the Movement for All Fund. It's not just the folks who naturally are drawn to these programs, but it's the people who maybe hadn't even considered them as an option before or might not have even seen them because they're just not in their neighborhood. Maybe it's because they just can't afford to go. It's creating a whole bunch more opportunities, but also launching them further. Right, pushing them out further, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that through not not just the rest of this year, but in the years beyond, once mm-hmm. we've established the fund and we've identified our key partners, we can keep building more, not just sponsoring the event, but creating a few more events of our own, uh, That particularly those that can integrate with the existing awesome communities that that exist here in the city. Lauren, sport climbing, trad, or bouldering? Bouldering. Yeah. So 
first it was Buildering. I, Shout out to Buildering.net. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually still pretty afraid of heights. Um, so I'm, I was really interested in traverses and finding an interesting way to get across things. Everybody climbs out the building. I climb across uh, yeah, the building. Across the building. It's true. A There's lateral no, builderer. People come up to me and they're like, wait, wait, are you telling me you like jump off of rooftops and things? It's like, no, no. I, I stay about six inches above the ground. And I, it's just, it's really hard though. Like, I leap tall <laughs> curbs in a single bound, right? So did you get into bouldering, which if, just in case, how we would know, just in case people don't know, bouldering is the idea of climbing with as little equipment as possible, just basically your bare hands and some parachutes. And you're not climbing high, you're climbing interesting technical challenges close to the ground. So it's super accessible. You can literally find a boulder or you can go to a bouldering gym where they set the, set the routes up for you. What I was going to say is, did you get into bouldering from bouldering? Like somebody took you to a parkour class, you climbed on a building, and then you realized that, oh, you can actually do this indoors at a place dedicated to bouldering. Is that Which way did you go at it? Yeah, I, I didn't know that bouldering gyms were a thing at all. I had rock climbed ages ago before I built any kind of strength. But yeah, through the parkour community, going to classes, we were invited to come out to Brooklyn Boulders, Queensbridge. And it's like, oh, that's the jungle gym for grownups. <laughs> I found it. It's here. And it was really interesting to me because it's both, it requires a bit of analytical thinking. You have to get up there and yeah, figure out, okay, how am solving. I going to do this? My boulder problem. Right. And um, the clock is ticking. I need to solve this problem and my fingers are getting tired and that's about the end of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. And I I still haven't I still get scared when I'm really high up, but that's okay. What's great is that it's it's a really unique environment and that risk is is accessible. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't try the same things while bouldering, <laughs> even if it is <laughs> off the ground, than I would in a bouldering gym. So it's it's an exciting place to be able to play with risk and also to play with fear too, to gradually push those limits and try the dino that you probably can't get you know because it's just a squishy mat below you but we do a lot of games when when we play and when we go to boulder we'll try to we can only grab what our feet can touch yes, put there's the hand, a lot of right? inversions you're only and... allowed to use grips if you touch it with your foot first mm. <laughs> so you're like hey you're like, oh my leg doesn't go that far <laughs> yeah so i i do i really enjoy that it is kind of funny that i am that i came to that afterwards because mm-hmm. that is probably a better match for my search terms than than parkour though i'm pleased that i found it in the order that i did but it's a lot of fun particularly at that location and i haven't been to too many of these gyms i think the one trouble that i have with them um, with bouldering is and and by extension climbing um in these facilities is that there's more equipment, there's higher cost sometimes, not right. huge, but you know, it's, it's not like parkour, which is, you don't need equipment. You don't have to, there's no, there's no money sink per se. Like you can right. do this anywhere, which I think is really beautiful. You know, especially if you want to talk about community, it's like there's low barrier to entry, right. bring your body and, you know, uh, the <laughs> willingness to try something. Um, so that is, it, it remains sort of a barrier to me. I don't even, I, you know, I keep renting climbing shoes. But but what's cool about that facility is how interested the folks who go are in talking with new people or just, oh, yeah, so, oh, man, let's see if you can get that one. Oh, you know, it's very yeah. celebratory. Yeah, it's, there's, it's a, a, there's a culture of effort in parkour and there's definitely a culture of effort in climbing and bouldering that people, yeah, people, like I, I also 
boulder, but I, and I don't know what my grade is, but people watch me climb and I'm just like, yeah, but you can climb this with one hand tied behind your back. But they understand the same way that, that people who are more experienced in parkour understand the challenge is whatever it is for you. It's not, can you attack my challenge? It's, can you attack your own challenge? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who get hooked on bouldering and buildering and parkour all at the same time. Cause there's a lot of similarities there. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's really fun to be able to test these little techniques, to do them over and over again and know that if you fall, you're fine. Yeah. That's not to say that you, you might not be fine on the ground, but you can study this thing until you nail it. Have you noticed there's a, there's a different, um, di- like separate from the I'm climbing by myself, there's a different dynamic. If you go with other people, even if they don't climb exactly at the same level, but if you go with three or four people and everybody is standing around and then, you know, somebody goes up there, I'm like, I need it. So I go through and, and like does something really neat and you're like, what? But then you're drawn either to try the exact same thing they just did or you like riff off of that. So there's, there's an aspect of parkour training where when you go to a class at first, this was my experience in a way, I had no idea, like I had no clue what to do, anything, anywhere. I was like, somebody please show me something. And then they would, you would just follow the leaders kind of thing. But then after you get a basic skill set, then you can go work on your own. So when you go to a building gym, it works the same way on day one. I don't have any idea what's going on. They show you some basics and they leave you alone and you work on those skills by yourself. But then later on in parkour and in bouldering, when you're able to come back to people that you know you can suddenly have this physical conversation that, yes, you're talking, but what we're talking about, you can't have this conversation with somebody else who hasn't tried this particular wall or mm. this particular parkour obstacle. And that's one of the things I love the most about parkour is being able to travel around and, and train with people who I don't know very well. But when we both like, oh, well, this is the space we're at and we both move in the space, then there's a certain different enlightened conversation that can happen between two people mm. and i don't know if you've i'm guessing you found because you're nodding as i'm talking i'm guessing you found the same experience with bouldering that you've also found that with parkour yeah absolutely there's this um this common language that develops and it's it's interesting to think in terms of language because we have people who come from all over the world and train with us yep. and you can have conversations that Maybe you can understand some yeah. of what they're saying, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. People just like gesturing. Like, yeah, right. Okay. Exactly. But in both the spirit of play and in the physical act of trying the same challenge, you can have this ongoing conversation that doesn't necessarily even involve understanding each other's it's words, words. Yes. which is awesome and so unique. And I, you know, you see it in various other places. Dance is a big one, but it's a lot of fun to be able to connect with people in a totally different way because you have this, this way of physically expressing mm-hmm. this goal that you're all trying to achieve together in your own way, right. which is awesome. So first parkour class, Rockefeller Park, what was the pair of shoes that you had on? Do you remember? I think I do. I was wearing a particularly flexible variety of new balances. I think they were the same shoes that I had worn when I was working festivals. Do you work a day? work a day, I'm on my feet all day kind of shoe. Mm-hmm. And everybody's thinking, what kind of question is that, Craig? Um, because I know that now you are wearing tigers and I pretty am. much exclusively, I mean, not at this particular instant, but in general, you were wearing tigers all the time. And I'm wondering, did you, first of all, did you switch over? Uh, we said you drink the Kool-Aid. Have you completely switched over to minimalist shoes 24, you know, anytime I have to put shoes on or, or do you still have like six inch stilettos that you wear to the office when you have to do the work a day job or like, well, I refuse to wear heels Unless I'm, I don't know, like bound and told to. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think I've actually brought my office more casual because I don't wear anything mm. but sneakers. 
But I, I love tigers. I um, it was so much fun to come to come to my first class and to see all of these all of these these shoes that I had seen ages ago. And I ended up ended up buying them later. And I'm on my I don't even know how many pairs I've bought of these things. Um, but they you know they they definitely do the job. And it's funny too how much a part of the community they are because this you'll be why I brought it up. Yeah. Right? You'll be jumping around on something and someone will go back and be like, you train parkour. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I have become a shoe snob. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I walk up to people when I'm looking at their feet and they're like, what are you looking at? I'm just judging you. <laughs> yeah. I was never a shoe person and I never expected how many conversations about shoes I would have since mm-hmm. joining this community because I used to think of them as just a thing that maybe was a reflection of your, your taste. Yeah. Style. It's a fashion um, thing. Because I never thought of myself as an athlete. I wasn't buying a lot of specialty shoes. And um, I come out here and now I think of shoes as the way that you engage with mm-hmm. the world. And tigers are fairly minimalist. I also wear zero shoes. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be as close to barefoot as I can be while, while still maintaining yeah. some element of protection in the city. Yeah, um, it is New York. There's glass. But <laughs> it, absolutely. But it's like, I want to feel my feet being feet. I want to be able to, to wrap my toes around things. Right. And um, I just want to be closer to what I'm interacting with. It's interesting to think of protective shoes as just now it's this barrier that's not actually letting yes. me move. Right. You're, you're, aside from the physiological damage that you're doing to your foot, the, there are the same number of nerves in your feet as there are in your hands, and that probably should tell you something about what is supposed to be happening with your feet. So if you stick them in a giant rubber shape that doesn't move, doesn't bend, doesn't have any proprioceptive input, that's going to make a difference. I have a friend who has a neurological problem, and it involves his uh, messes up his balance. And in the process of digging into that, I found an article where someone did research, like real research with data and peer publication, where they took insoles and all the insoles have is little round bumps on the top, the part that your foot touches. They put these insoles in shoes and then measured gait stability for seniors and it it improves their gait stability. Like this isn't training, it's just put bumps in the shoe (laughs) and your body works better. I'm like, hmm... So, I mean, I subscribe to the put thinner shoes on so the bumps in the world reach your foot. But but I definitely think that's a huge part of it. And I don't think I know of anybody who really trains parkour a lot that doesn't just wind up in thinner and thinner shoes um, to the point of like I'm often wearing shoes that are inappropriately thin. Like, oh, my feet are freezing because it's winter, but I don't want to put big mm-hmm. giant moon boots on anymore. Yeah. it's turns out it's nice to be able to feel things. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about the podcast is being able to ask questions that seem completely non sequitur. So I understand that you've been doing voiceover work. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I don't know why, this is interesting to me to talk about people who have to perform voices on recordings. And you were talking about character creation. And I hadn't really thought about that because what we're doing with the podcast, I'm not attempting to create a character. I'm just attempting to to be sort of a transparent entity that's helping people come along for the discussion. Um, So my thought is, can you unpack a little bit what character development really means for a vocal performer or a vocal artist? Sure, I suppose it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. In the work that I did with my job, I was trying to inspire empathy for this woman going through a lot of pain and and also to, to show, this was interesting, to show her age from about 13 to in her 50s. So it's like, okay, so how can I show this woman's life as she's aging and dealing with more and more pain? 
on the one side, and then how can I show her aging while having this really full life? So it's it's a lot of. Did thinking. you get a chance to Did you get a chance to interview her and like get her take on things, or did you so, have to like make? So actually, this was not from an interview or anything. This was something that we wrote by oh, from a case history. Yeah, and... reading about patients, reading about what they generally experience, and so so I talked to some people as well who I know have had endometriosis, which is what this was about. And so it was sort of an extension of me, I I guess, this abstract lady who has a lot of common experiences. So that was interesting. That was something that I hadn't done in a while. It was also not for a show. I come from an acting background. This was for a totally different, a medical audience, which was also fascinating to think about. It's like, what are they going to expect? Are they going to expect something that's a little bit more artistic and performative, are they going to expect something that's a bit more technical and, and cool? I won't say cold because right, that's but, not what we were going yeah. for, but you know, something a little cooler. And then in a totally different video we were doing, it was a poem that was meant to be somewhere in between conversational and a little bit more of a, a heightened reality. So that's this work that I have done with, with my job has gotten me back into thinking about voices and both the voices that I use, like the voice that I'm using here is a little bit different from the voice that I use in common conversation. And when I was at doing the festivals, I did the announcements. Um, (laughs) So it's like, that's a totally different voice too. But I have always loved animation. I've loved listening to voice actors talk about their process and, you know, what are, what are the first elements that you just, that you, um, that you consider about a character I remember watching Mark Hamill, who I idolized, talking about creating the Joker, like driving in his car mm-hmm. on the way to the audition, thinking about how does he laugh? What's this laugh? Is it this way? Is it this way? Oh, no, that's not really it. Right. And I've been doing a lot of playing in physical spaces, but it's made me want to play more in this auditory space, you know, this space that's in my head and then is going to come out in some way. And I guess it is, I mean, technically it's a physical space. It's my voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are certain things I can do with it, uh, certain ways that I want to try to push it. And I would love to add to the roster of characters that I have enjoyed watching in my past. And I just think it's really fun. But it's it's cool to think about. I have found, I have studied some some voice, but I haven't studied it to the extent that others have. It's just like, it's almost to understand mechanically what's happening Mm -hmm. versus what's happening in this sort of like play space of imagination. (laughs) Um, It's an interesting move. It's a lot like some of the movement translations that I have to do when I'm in fighting monkey or when I'm in a parkour class. It's like, I I imagine this now, how do I create this? It's a cool parallel, but yeah, I I just want to, um, I want to play some more in that realm. I have gotten away from it over time. Yeah. My favorite, the thing that like I, I love the most, there are a couple like YouTube folks, like Marcel the Shell mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. <laughs> I love doing the Marcel voice. I I'm just I like, I want to, oh my God. Okay. So sometime after this, I recommend watching it. It's, you can, I think you can still find it on YouTube, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, it's voiced by Jenny Slate. She's a comedian. And I think the voice is so much fun. And she does a similar voice on um, Big Mouth, but um, she's there. Hello, my name is Marcel, and I'm, I'm I'm partially a shell, as you can see on my body. And right. I, you know, <laughs> my one regret in life is that I'll never have a dog. <laughs> just like you know, we don't fight unless we're provoked. And I just love this little voice, this sweet little voice, saying these things. And there was a 
this other YouTuber who would voice his dog. And uh, he had another kind of similar but really interesting voice. It's like, I don't know. I'm just a dog, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm just fascinated by how can I adjust what I'm doing to, to play in this, this humorous space. But yeah, I've always, I've always enjoyed doing just weird stuff, <laughs> weird voices. It's fun. If you had a time machine and you could go back to say 12 years and just like, you know, a couple of times, like where would you have been 12 years ago? Uh, if you could go back 12 years and you could give yourself some advice, I can't guarantee that you will take your own advice, just advice that you could attempt to deliver. Uh, what would it be? Mm. So now I have to see if I can do some fast computation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. So what I would be, I think it would be 14. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, it's something like that. I'd be I, in my you know teens. I round up to fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that's what I was doing at that time. I was very like, I want performing is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this happen. I had decided when I was twelve that I, I wanted to perform, and so I'd been working really hard because the problem was I knew I wanted to do this. It filled me with a lot of joy, but I was actually super afraid of. Like I had big stage fright. So I first had to get over the stage fright before I could actually do the Small thing. Small problem. Right? Yeah. So I went to, you know, I went to some musical theater workshops and eventually pushed past that. And that was, that whole experience was one of the first things that made me say, well, actually, as long as I want a thing, I can, I'm going to get the thing. I just need to be able to make a plan, fix the problems, get over those right. barriers and, and keep moving, which I think is why parkour has been a really nice fit. It's like, all right, that's, that's what it's all meta. about. Yeah, um, so I was, yeah, I would have been in high school. I was doing a lot of shows. And actually that shortly after that, that I guess when I had just turned 16, I had some of my really, my favorite roles. I felt like, oh, I finally, I landed here. I'm doing it. I was in this production of Animal Farm, which was actually very movement heavy. We had to simulate getting ripped apart by dogs. And, you know, I was a sheep and a horse and it was, it was a lot of interesting stuff. And I finally got to, was the, the lead in the musical. So I got to sing in front of people in, in a more highlighted way. And it was an interesting feeling getting to that after a couple of years of working honest, through a lot of yeah, honest work, right? stuff to get the satisfaction of having done that. And I think at that point it was like, okay, well, I did make it. There turns out there are other things I can do too if I want to. But yeah, that was like, all right, I'm going to, I think I am going to get the BFA, which I shortly after decided now that's a terrible idea for me. Um, <laughs> I need to be in a situation where I can do all the things. But that was also a point where I was, I was doing a little, a little bit of theatrical movement, but I was still in the space of, I'm not an athlete. I, I'm the weird theater kid because my school, you know, there was like maybe one of the sports kids who was in <laughs> the club. We were all, all different, not usually in gym. And uh, for one of those shows, um, we studied a little bit of viewpoints, which is, I've not really thought about it in a while, but it was a way to move through space. And so I was first starting to engage with a little bit of that. But it's just interesting to see how far away I am at that point from where I am now with my own thoughts on movement, with my own sense of confidence within my own being. Because I was definitely still just figuring out like, oh, and can I really express myself? Like getting getting everything that was going on in my in my head out 
And that I think is the biggest area of growth that I've experienced for myself in the last couple of years really is, is doing this physical play and being able to fully let it all out. We did this awesome monster movement workshop with Brian Prince when he was out at the, the <laughs> movement creative retreat. And that was a moment when I thought, oh, you know what? I really have, I've come a long way here because I, uh, this is ne- not something I would have been able to let out a little while ago. I would have been too self-conscious to just kind of set free this like dancing monster, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and that that's, it's exciting. It's, it's been, that's part of the reason I love all of this. It's this, once you can get to this playful state and really embrace that as a way to be and a way to move. It's like, oh, this this is opening up like new pathways <laughs> and strange and fun and interesting big stuff that I was definitely not doing 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just didn't feel like I could. It might have been in here, but letting it out was the challenge. And so it's been exciting to grow in that direction. And I don't like the phrase come out of your shell. Um, it's just like redefine what is the shell. You know? right. How about if I hit you with my shell? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stay in it and hit you with it. Mm-hmm. Lauren, instead of me always grilling you, um, is there anything else you want to share that I haven't gotten to or things you want to just bring up out of the blue? Uh, sure. I'll share with you a problem that I try to solve You know, every time I talk to somebody about what it is that I do and every time I'm at a pop-up playground and I'm observing the different ways that people play, particularly parents with their kids, I find that a lot of people tend to be really at odds with the idea of play. They fight against it a lot. They want to keep the small people, you know, going on the, the easy path, the safe path. <laughs> the straight path. and narrow, right? Yeah, the, the path of safety. What is safety? I'm really interested in engaging with why it is that people feel like either play goes away at a certain point or why they feel like they need structure. I'm hoping that that in my work with PKBNYC, we can start to talk to people a little bit more about why, how can you play? Why don't you play? What is it that would help you get past that? I talk to a lot of people about what I do because I really enjoy what I do. And one of the things that they tell me is how either self-conscious they would feel, how afraid they would feel mm-hmm. of, of trying this thing because they feel like they're going to hurt themselves or, or that they won't be good at it. And, uh, and what I always end up saying is, you know, really... All I'm doing is just playing around. I've done it for a little while and I've built technique that's helped me move safely. But really, I'm just playing. Mm-hmm. It's just that jungle gym, you know. I'm just a grown-up now. So I, I'm trying to find new ways to to introduce people to to play again, to reintroduce people to play, particularly those people who have lost it over time. Because for me, playing is just a, a way to live. Mm-hmm. It's the way that I try to approach my work my life, the things that I find fun. And I would like to understand what stands in the way of folks um, playing so that I can help them move past that and, and unlock something new and exciting. Next, I think an obvious next question would be if you, so people are listening. So can you give people something, maybe it's a rhetorical question, maybe it's a physical challenge, but can you give them something to go actually chew on? And, and like, if they come up with some result, what should they do with it? Can they get it back to you somehow? Or, you know, they're trying to continue the conversation somewhere. Oh, 
That's a really interesting question. I actually think that the hands exercise that I described earlier is a really great way for people to start. You don't need to have any athletic background to play with this. Mm-hmm. Find a partner, find a wall, uh, you know, if you don't have, if you want to start there and just close your eyes and move. Make sure you're keeping contact with, with something, whether it's another person or whether it's the surface that you're playing with. And if you're a person who feels weird about this, just let it go. Let that all go. And I think that playing with the concept of letting go of what people expect of you, of what people think you should be doing for your, for your fitness um, is, is a step to think of. And while you're there, you know, with your eyes closed, moving around, moving your shoulders, letting your legs kick around, maybe taking one arm away and exploring the space that you can't see. What, what do you need to let go to feel like you can actually do that? Right. Can, yeah. Maybe that's a thing. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of things that I could say about that. I don't know if that's the one that I want people to play with. But I mean, that's, that's a big thing in yoga to be able to let, to let all the stuff go, to let the thoughts go, the little nagging, you know, fears that are clinging to you and just breathe into it. Because I think part of the reason that people think of play as for kids is that kids don't have those, those little like pieces of armor. They don't have a shell yet. They don't have (laughs) those parasites, like those emotional parasites the things that keep them from, from saying what they feel from doing what they feel from moving around, like, you know, in this, in this free way to just shed that, even if it's for the evening, you know, is hard to do. I think because people tend to convince themselves that they need those things. It's like a security blanket that keeps you from embarrassing yourself. Um, (laughs) And it's actually just like the shoes, you don't necessarily need the blanket, you don't necessarily need the big cushy shoes to to live in this world. You can you can be a, a clown. Mm-hmm. I love clowning as as a way to explain this. It's just like just feel stuff, try stuff. But in order to try it, you first have to take that that leap mm-hmm. into this unknown you know nebulous space where somebody might laugh, <laughs> but that's okay if you're with the right people. They're they're going to play with you. Just being able to to strip off the things that people have been telling you all your life about the way to move and the way to to be a, a grown-up. <laughs> because actually, those things, you can carry them with you if you want. But if you can drop them off and learn to live without them, I think you're going to be a lot happier. <laughs> Have a lot more fun, at least, in the moment or all the time. Yeah, just breathe it. Breathe it away. Hmm. Lauren, I love to ask people if they have a story they'd like to share, but I want to do something different. I actually know a great story that involves you, and I'd actually like to hear you tell the story. So at Art of Retreat, there was a cabin incident that happened. (laughs) I'm wondering if you'd want to share this story with us. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Oftentimes, you'll have this moment where you can see something just over the horizon, (laughs) and it starts to come to you as as a possibility, and you say, you know maybe I should be on the top bunk of this, this uh, <laughs> of what do you Unheated call those things? bunk house, yes. Yeah. Maybe I should be on the top bunk. Are you going to fall on me, John? Eh, it's fine. I'll be on the bottom bunk. It's like, why does this come to me? You know, we're out in this beautiful camp in this lovely cabin. And so, so we'd gone to sleep after, a, you know, a crazy, exciting day. 
at about four in the morning. She's like, oh, I have this terrible pain in my head. Something is just, I thought someone threw something at me. I'm like, what is Craig throwing things at me from across the room? Uh, and, and there's a sort of a creak. And then, then all of a sudden more things or something else is tumbling on me and I don't know what it is. And it's dark and there's just the light outside the cabin. And so finally I'm touching my head. I don't know what something's fallen down. And, it was really late at night. So no one's really stirring. It's just, and it's like, Oh shit, my head is wet. <laughs> and so I, I say to the cabin and I'm tired. Everybody's tired. I say, I appear to be bleeding from the head. Um, <laughs> so all and, of us wake up to, you know, like, <laughs> and then I hear Lauren from across the room in the pitch black say, I appear to be bleeding from my head. We're all like, huh? <laughs> so it's like, everybody up, turn the lights on. <laughs> the thing that was funny is that happens. And it, 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 I think it was only slowly starting to register in people's minds that someone was awake and something had happened. It's like, can someone please help me? Like, I don't know. I, I'm starting to feel a little woozy. <laughs> and so I was helped. <laughs> and we went into the main cabin and, you know, we were just cleaned it off and everything was fine. I didn't, I happened to be sleeping on my face basically. So, but it was interesting to see the next day, the state of this board that had fallen on me because a slat had fallen down and uh, it had a big rusty nail in it. Right? There several actually little, little ones. It seemed they'd tried to hammer it back into place many, many times. So it looked kind of like a weapon that you would have picked up in Fallout, like, you know, this, this board. <laughs> that melee. You, yeah, exactly, like a classic melee weapon. It was Plus really four, big. Right? <laughs> you know, it's just like all these tiny little nails sticking out at odd angles. And so I was, you know, I had a little bump on my head um, and it was fine. But I mean, this is it's the power of community, right? right. You know, you're surrounded by great folks who are going to come up. They're exhausted, help you to... You know, oh, the yeah. it was like eight people. It was like in 30 seconds we had, who's mad? Got the mad kid. Lights are on a thing. Flashlight. <laughs> like bum rushed you to the couch. Yeah. So the like, main <laughs> thing where there was lights and bathrooms and stuff. Um, so are you going back? I will be going back. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it's like, did they? Uh, we'll, we'll do a more thorough inspection of the cabin next time. Or sleep um, on the top. Uh, this time, though, I'm, I think I'll probably heed the, the warning that my own brain gave me, which is like sleep on the top. Definitely the top. That's what I'd always done in the past. So I was just getting my reward for ignoring my instincts. <laughs> instincts are very important in parkour. <laughs> um, so that was, yeah, that was an interesting first night, especially after this really intense game of capture the flag and so excited for sleep. But yeah, I made <laughs> it. Was, it. it. I lived. To be. I didn't turn into a pirate or anything. I still have my eyes. <laughs> um, my head is fine. I didn't get tetanus. And we came together as a cabin. <laughs> and then we had a good story to tell everyone the next day. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get any sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Now that we've told a great cabin in the woods story about Art of Retreat, more seriously, I know you didn't present while you were there, but I think you worked with Nikki Zanevsky for her, was it called Fighting Monkey or did it have mm -hmm. a different name? Or? We did. Um, I, I believe she did call it Fighting Monkey. Um, mm -hmm. And she uses a lot of the principles in her business when, now to, that she's doing Wildly Fit. So I, I was very happy to be able to do a little bit of co co-teaching co you know co um, yeah like a yeah, co-enabler you're the yeah. you're the co-conspirator i need exactly. a volunteer yeah hey, you know Lauren. come and demonstrate this thing with me this yeah. weird thing that you know nobody else in the circle had done before and that was that was a lot of fun and what i one of the things that i love about the fighting monkey practice is that it's so fundamental and yet so challenging and to see a huge group of people attempt these really unique challenges and struggle. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some of the best movers around are fighting through this, this, kinda, yeah. this new problem 
And when they get it, it's just as satisfying as the first time they'd tried. Yeah. Some more traditional jump. challenge. Right. Uh, and, and they're always fun to watch them struggle. Like, why can't I do this thing with a stupid Jenga block? You know, and then <laughs> they go over there and, and struggle with it. What, and what I love about it is that it's so much of the challenge is, is humility and kindness to yourself is it's going to continue to be hard. Because the more you progress, the more challenging things you're able to attempt. So being able to say failure is going to happen. I'm going to keep failing until I get it mm -hmm. because each subsequent attempt is, is more progression. And, and when you nail it, it's so satisfying. And I just love that exploration because there's a lot of exploration in this, in this practice. It's just understanding why did I fail that time? What can I change? It's usually a very subtle shift and learning to live within your own structure and get that structure to work for you is super exciting and interesting. I mean, we were tossing logs, lots with coordination, and we had a couple of physical puzzles for, for folks to try. And even then, it, it, that's just the beginning. And it's one of those practices that is so fun and so hard that you want to keep pushing. You want to keep trying, trying new things, trying new ways to incorporate, you know, these Jenga blocks with this balance. And um, I've learned a lot in a short time while while studying that, both in classes with Nikki and with Ozzy at um, in True Movement. And I've found strength that I didn't expect to find, and have built that and have gotten a lot better at that. And then there are certain things that are still super hard for me to understand, <laughs> and that's great because it gives me something I can. I can work at. Yeah, keep um, and it's, that's very similar to why I wanted to attend Art of Retreat this time was I wanted to surround myself with people who are pushing themselves in really interesting directions, who are business owners, who have been yeah, community leaders yeah, and coaches. Studying and something really important to them and immerse myself in, in each of their worlds to see if I can enhance mine. And of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. I find a word that comes up for me a lot when I'm uh, when I'm doing some of these these same exercises is breathe. Breath has been such an important part of my practice, both in yoga and in parkour, because it's very easy to hold your breath and power through something. Right. So for me, both in managing my own life and approaching my movement, breath is a huge thing. I mean, it is it's life. So I think uh, play is really important to me as well. So. I would probably say something like, it's tough. I'm trying to put it together in a way that makes sense. Um, <laughs> play and breathe is, is what I just always try to do when I move to bring it back to, I'm just playing and I'm here. I'm, I'm breathing. And when I breathe, I'm filled with with energy and grounding. And when I can ground, I can then bounce. I can I can do things. It's the breath that powers everything I do. And coming back to that is both a great way for me to settle myself, but also prepare to do really fun things and cool things. Play and breathe. Thank you very much, Lauren. It's been a pleasure. Ah, oh, thank you so much for talking with me. This was great. This was episode 37. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 37. I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or suggestions. Send an email to team at moversmindset.com. If you found this episode at all useful or enjoyable, please tell your friends. 
And there's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to sign up for our newsletter, or to join the Movers Mindset community. Thanks for listening.